Matthew 6. In just a few moments, I'm going to read for us actually the entirety of the Lord's Prayer and then two verses that follow on its heels where Jesus actually explains for us or perhaps offers a little bit of commentary on the particular request that we're going to look at today in verse 12. Matthew chapter 6, and as we prepare to read God's Word and look again at the Lord's Prayer, I would like to say a few things by way of background or context that I think it would be good for us to kind of have in mind uh, even before we read the, the Word of God together this morning. First, the Lord's Prayer, as a part of the larger Sermon on the Mount that takes up Matthew chapters 5 through 7, this is really an opportunity where Jesus, early in his ministry, is showing us his heart. Jesus is revealing to us in this sermon, and in this prayer in particular, the things that he really cares about the things that he values, and the things that that really need priority as he ushers in now the long-promised and much-needed kingdom of God. You'll also notice, though, as I read, and for those of us who are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, that this particular prayer is actually very short. It's quite simple. It's, for many of us, very familiar But I want us to appreciate the fact that in saying what he says and in teaching us to pray in the way in which he is teaching us here, Jesus is actually doing something very revolutionary. Jesus is doing something radical, and I think that we'll see that even as we look at the idea of forgiveness together this morning. The Lord's Prayer, as Brian has faithfully reminded us over the past few weeks, is is really a greeting and five requests. That greeting comes as Jesus says, our Father in heaven. Then the request first of praise, hallowed be your name. A request of priorities, your kingdom come, your will be done. A request concerning provision from God, give us this day our daily bread. Today we'll look at the request of pardon, forgive us our debts. And next, will be a request of protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We've also been reminded that each one of these requests really provides us with a kind of jumping off point in prayer, uh, a guide that we can use to really accentuate the ways that we approach God for His glory and in our needs. But as we read, as we study, as we spend time around this fourth request concerning forgiveness, I want us to keep in mind, I really want us to be aware of the fact that this is the only request of the five that actually comes with both a qualification and, as I said earlier, some commentary. So with all those things in mind, let us give our attention now to the reading of God's Word, beginning in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 9, remember this is God's Word that has been given and preserved and is being used by the Holy Spirit even this morning for God's eternal glory and for our everlasting good. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so incredibly thankful this morning that you have given us a beautiful Sabbath day to gather together in your name. God, we are thankful this morning that by your word and spirit, you mean to change our hearts, our minds, our actions, and our very lives. God, we pray this morning as we give our attention to the Lord's Prayer, as we give our attention this morning particularly to this idea of asking for forgiveness and practicing forgiveness in our relationships, God, I pray that we would not only walk out of these doors with more theological information or a formula in our minds, but God, that we would actually leave this place changed and transformed, that we would leave having been made more like Jesus, that we would leave being ready by your Spirit to live as your people. God, we bring all these requests before you now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. As we really begin in earnest here in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, I think it's fair to say that this request, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven those who are indebted to us. As we think about this, what we're really saying this morning, what we're really looking at this morning, is relationships. Now, I think all of us can agree that relationships are, in fact, a good thing. Relationships are a good and beautiful part of God's world. We have been created, have we not, to live in relationship with God and with other people. It's a foundational part of our humanity. We find great joy in friendship, in marriage, in the other relationships that God gives us in the context of the community that is the church and the community that is just life. But in recognizing that relationships are good, we also have to admit, do we not, that relationships in a fallen world are ugly and complicated, and often very painful. Our pain, our shame, our guilt, and many of our most lingering regrets, so much of that stuff is tied to what? Broken relationship. It's tied to the way that we've hurt other people, and often to the ways that they've hurt us and sinned against us. Today in the Lord's Prayer, we're going to talk about what happens, or really what should happen, when relationships go wrong. Now typically, when relationships get messy, when sin enters the picture, we run toward one of two things. We typically either explode, or we try to escape the situation altogether. It's that classic fight-or-flight response, right? When someone sins against us, what do we do? (laughs) We either run toward anger or we try to run away. When someone confronts us with our sin against them, what do we typically do? 
Well, we either unleash on that person in a fit of self-righteousness, or we make excuses and avoid and try to squirm away from that person in an awkward kind of self-protective anxiety. And all along the way, whether we are exploding or trying to escape, we are sowing the seeds of bitterness and gossip and division. This morning, we are going to see that God has graciously provided us with a better way. The reality is that we don't have to explode or escape. There is something better for us as God's people, even when our relationships get hard, even when we sin against other people and they sin against us. In Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been given the beautiful, yes, hard, but healing way of forgiveness. As we look at Matthew chapter 6 this morning, in this bigger concept of forgiveness, we're going to really ask three questions. First, what is biblical forgiveness? How does God define forgiveness for us, and how does he display it to us in Scripture? Second question, why do we actually need biblical forgiveness? forgiveness. Why do we need to receive it, and why do we actually need to offer it as God's people? And that third question, how does forgiveness in the biblical sense, how does it really work, or how is it to be worked out in our relationships? Another way we could ask this same question is, what does forgiveness look like in real time and in real relationship? Now, before I begin to answer that first question, and before we begin to look at what God actually says to us, let me, let me just encourage us to admit together that it will be impossible in the next few moments to actually cover everything that the Bible has to say about forgiveness. This is a significant and weighty and large topic we also need to recognize that, that while God clearly outlines forgiveness for us in Scripture, it's unrealistic to, to think that forgiveness is some kind of simplistic, formulaic process, that it's clean and neat. Relationships are messy. Sin is messy. Our relationships are messy. And our experiences and our personal histories are complicated. For some of us, our lives are filled with traumatic experiences like abuse and neglect, and years, even decades of broken relationship. So I hope in many senses this morning that this sermon doesn't serve as an end for us, but really as a beginning, or perhaps a new beginning of many careful conversations that we need to have together as a church family. Let's then look at that first question, shall we? What is biblical forgiveness? As I said earlier, this is a, a big topic, but one that I think we can begin to really wrap our minds and our hands around as we investigate what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount and really what the broader witness of Scripture says to us. As I unpack this for us this morning, I do want to give credit where it's due. As I prepared for this sermon, I spent a lot of time in Chris Braun's book, Unpacking Forgiveness, and I'd recommend it to you. 
as we walk through answering this question, what is biblical forgiveness, there'll be several concepts that I'm borrowing at least from what he said there. First, at a very basic level, biblical forgiveness is literally a letting go. That's what the original word means, to let go. Then we have to ask the question, what are we letting go of in biblical forgiveness? We are literally letting go of the liability, the guilt, the sin that someone has committed against us. If we think about this in in financial terms, when you go to buy a car, if you're going to be making payments, or buy a house, or really buy anything, you take on a certain liability, right? And the bank or the lending institution, what do they do? They hold the deed. They hold the title. They are literally holding something, recognizing that you have a debt to pay. In forgiveness... When we sin against someone else, there is a legitimate moral liability that they are holding against us because of our sin, because of our wrongdoing. And forgiveness, in order for it to actually take place in terms of what God says, there must be a letting go. As we think about what forgiveness actually is and how it works, I think we're already beginning to see that that is a significant, a significant ask for us as broken people interacting with other broken people. So let's unpack quite a few other things about biblical forgiveness and what it is. We also see from Scripture that biblical forgiveness is an attitude, that it begins in many senses, I would argue most perfectly, in the heart and mind as we consider letting go of the moral offenses, the guilt, the liability that others have incurred against us through their sin or that others consider against us as we have sinned against them, we need to realize that our heart and mind are fully engaged here. Just consider a broken relationship and how the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 comes to play. Love, joy, peace gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control, all of these fruits of the Spirit, right, come to bear as we think about the moral liability, the real distance, the real separation, the real hurt, the real harm that occurs in our relationships. Now, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if we could say, okay, great, forgiveness is a letting go, and it's an attitude that I need to cultivate by God's Spirit toward other people in the context of my relationships. Got it done, move on. Next question. We can't stop there. Because biblically, forgiveness is also an action. That letting go or that release occurs in the context of a real relationship where there is an offending party and an offended party. So thus far, we've got that biblical forgiveness is letting go, that it's an attitude, and that it's an action. But I also want to stress for us this morning, and I think this is important biblically, that that forgiveness is also conditional. And this is where, if I'm being honest, as I prepared to to talk this morning and and really thought about biblical forgiveness, this is where the Lord kind of began to, to get up in my grill a little bit. We need to understand that biblically, forgiveness in relationship is not possible unless repentance and confession are made. We can be prepared to offer forgiveness. 
We can carry ourselves with an attitude forgiveness, but unless that other individual actually comes and confesses his or her sin, we cannot live in the context of a forgiveness relationship. I think it's important to, to see this in Scripture. We, in fact, used it this morning in our assurance of pardon. God forgives our sin when? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We see there that even the Lord's forgiveness of us is conditioned upon what? Faith, repentance, and confession. Yes, which are gifts of the Spirit to us. But let's make sure we understand that biblical forgiveness is conditional. Biblical forgiveness is also tied to reconciliation. There is meant to be a, a bringing together of what was separated because of sin. In the context of our relationships, remember, sin always brings division. It always creates separation. It always means distance. But through the beautiful process, the careful process of biblical forgiveness, God means to reconcile people to himself and see that we are reconciled to one another as his people. At this point, I think we are beginning to understand something else about forgiveness, even if we've not been able to put words to it yet. If there is a letting go of real moral liability, if this is something that is taking place internally as the Lord transforms my heart and mind, if there is the discomfort, yes, the beautiful discomfort, but the real discomfort of having to enter into difficult relationships with those that have offended me or those that I have offended, if there is going to be real confession and repentance, if there is going to be at least some measure of reconciliation, all of this means that biblical forgiveness is also incredibly expensive. It's expensive. We're going to talk about this in more detail in just a moment, but think about the price that was paid in order for us to be forgiven by God and reconciled to God. It came at the cost of his own son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a very real sense in which Jesus had to lose in order for us to be forgiven. And in our relationships, we will have to fill up the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be reconciled and in order to forgive, in order to let go. Biblical forgiveness also doesn't necessarily remove all of the consequences at play. And we don't have time to tease out fully what this means, but just because someone asks forgiveness and there is some measure of reconciliation does not mean that all trust is restored. It does not mean that all consequences are immediately removed from your relationship or carrying forward. That's true interpersonally and legally. The last thing we want to say really about, <laughs> about biblical forgiveness is that for us as God's people, for us as Christians, biblical forgiveness is not just a good idea, nor is it a suggestion. It is actually a requirement and an ongoing responsibility for us as God's people. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter asks, 
how many times he should be prepared to forgive someone, right? And Jesus responds with a shocking answer. 77 times, or many interpret it as 70 times 7. In essence, Jesus says to Peter and to us, we must be willing by God's grace to lose count, to continually live in a posture of offering forgiveness and seeking reconciliation. In Ephesians 4.32, Paul says that we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. As we try to really illustrate the meaning of biblical forgiveness, I do want us to stop and think about in more detail how God actually forgives us as his people, right? God certainly, by his grace, he lets go of the moral liability of the sin, of the distance that is between us and him as a holy, righteous God. How does he do that? Because he takes our sin and places it upon Jesus Christ such that he himself pays the price of our sin. But why would God do that? Well, because his heart was filled with love toward us, grace and mercy toward us, not in a way that replaced his justice, but in a way that led him to again place our sin upon Jesus Christ. God, in granting us forgiveness and in securing our forgiveness by giving us the gifts of repentance and confession. He has reconciled us to himself and removed, yes, all eternal consequences of our sin, but not necessarily all of the temporal consequences of it. And how does God forgive us time and time and time again in the context of every sin that we commit? So if that's really the meaning, or at least a good part of the meaning of biblical forgiveness, we have to then ask, well, why do we need this? In some ways, I think for many of us, that's an obvious answer. But I want to make sure that we really unpack what is being said here in Matthew chapter 6 in particular. Jesus says that when we pray, even as God's people, when we approach God's throne, that we are to ask God to forgive us our debts. So let's recognize this morning once again, or perhaps maybe even for the first time, that our debts before a holy God are real. Just consider the Ten Commandments for a moment in the last seven days of your life. Can any of us actually say <laughs> that we have worshiped God perfectly? That our lives have been entirely empty of idols? Of course not. Can we say that we have honored the authorities that God has placed over us perfectly? No. Have we been perfectly dedicated to the truth in all circumstances and in every conversation? No. Our debts, plural, are real before God. Also, something that I think is before us, but we can very easily miss here in Matthew 6, is that our debts are both individual and corporate. Here in this prayer, Jesus encourages us to pray that God would forgive our debts. As Americans, we tend to think very individualistically. But it is also true that we commit sin as communities and as groups 
which again I hope begins to broaden our understanding, right, of how many debts we have actually incurred against God. I said this earlier, but I think it's worth repeating here, that our debts always have relational consequences. Sin is inherently selfish, and it reeks of independence. Really, every single sin that we commit is an attempt to reorient the world around ourselves, to wrest the kingship that belongs to God from his hands and to place ourselves on the throne. I mean, just think about what we prayed earlier in the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. But I think we, we begin to ask a question as we think about the reality of our debts. H- haven't our debts all been forgiven? If, if we are in Jesus Christ, is it not true that we are justified fully by his accomplished work on our behalf? Yes. So do we still need to ask for forgiveness on a regular basis before God? Yes. Why? Because sin always has relational consequences. For those of us this morning who are believers... Our sin cannot change the foundational nature of our relationship with God the Father. It is not possible. But our sin, it does stand in the way of unhindered relationship in terms of daily relationship, communion with our Father. I love my dad. My dad loves me. I, <laughs> by God's grace, I cannot think of a more godly man than my father. He has constantly shown me the humility and grace and mercy and courage of Jesus on a regular basis. He has loved me well. No sin that I could commit against my father would ever change the basic nature of our relationship. He is my dad. But those sins can create a a distance and an awkwardness, and a difficulty. And so Jesus here in the Lord's Prayer is encouraging us, in a sense, to keep short accounts with our Heavenly Father as His people, to continually confess our sin, to continually remind ourselves of the sufficiency of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the necessity of Jesus, and the real security that is ours in the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. So as we think about this second question, why do we need biblical forgiveness? I want to encourage us to do something difficult. I want to encourage us this morning, this afternoon, maybe even this week, to work to see and know our sin better. Yes, we need to understand what biblical forgiveness is, but we also need to lean into the reality That forgiveness is something we need. That this short request, forgive us our debts, should really continually be on our lips as God's people. As I was encouraged one time in my own spiritual life, if you really need help seeing your sin, talk to people you know, love, and trust. They might see it better than you do. And lean into the Ten Commandments. 
Because like the Lord's Prayer, they give us a lot of jumping off points to understand the real nature of our hearts. The third question we need to ask here is, is, so what do we do with this? I mean, basically, once we've worked to understand what biblical forgiveness is, and now that we've seen that we actually need it and need to practice it, that it is necessary in our relationship with God and obviously in our relationship with others, how do we do that? Well, I think first we need to understand that biblical forgiveness, it combines a vertical and horizontal element. That's really what's being stated here in Matthew 6.12, right? Forgive us our debts, there's the vertical sense, our relationship with God. As we have forgiven those who sin against us, there's the horizontal element, our relationships with other people. Then, and I read this for us earlier, Jesus, right on the heels of the Lord's Prayer, does what? He offers us two verses of commentary where he reemphasizes that, that connection between vertical forgiveness and horizontal forgiveness, or forgiveness before God and forgiveness that we practice in relationship with others. He says, let me read it again, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I don't necessarily want you to respond this morning, but how does that hit you? As I read that continually, as I worked my way through that really for the past couple of weeks, that's heavy. That's, that's real stuff. I mean, Jesus Christ is declaring to us that if we are not a people who actively practice forgiveness in our relationships with one another, then we should have no confidence that we have actually been made right with God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Another way to say this is that a failure to forgive others on our part reveals a massive, massive, and I would argue deadly kind of misunderstanding of our own sin and of the actual grace and mercy of God. Here's another question I really don't want you to answer this morning out loud. Who's the biggest sinner in this room? If your mind went anywhere else than yourself, that's a problem. And I think it's a problem that's actually addressed here in Matthew chapter 6. You see, in our interpersonal relationships, in those vertical relationships, right, we tend to think that we can hold on to the sin, the guilt, the moral liability that others have incurred against us. Why? Because we're the better people. Because we deserve our pound of flesh. Because we get to sit in our seat of self-righteousness. Even if they repent, even if they confess, even if they are willing to make restitution, even if they recognize the consequences that must be faced, we're not going to forgive. Why not? Because you're worse than I am, and you don't deserve it. That is one of the most unchristian things that could ever run through our minds, our hearts, or come out of our mouths. You and I, as individuals, 
We have done nothing to deserve to earn the forgiveness that is ours before God. And yet, in Christ, what has he done? He has forgiven all of our sins. All of them. Forever. That means that we as God's people, we have the privilege, the honor, and the responsibility and obligation to be a forgiving people. And if we find in our lives that we cannot actually practice forgiveness, that we never offer it, nor is it ever actually given to another individual who is seeking it by way of confession and repentance, then we have no reason to have any security that we have been a forgiven people. Jesus actually illustrates this for us in Matthew chapter 18. Many of you know the parable of the unforgiving servant. This servant owes a massive financial debt to his master. I mean, really, depending on the way that you interpret it, it is like 950 lifetimes worth of earnings. It is an impossibly large debt. And he, he comes before his master, read this in Matthew 18, maybe later today, and he begs for forgiveness He recognizes that he can only throw himself upon the mercy and grace of the master, that the master legitimately holds something against him, and the master chooses to release him from that debt. And then immediately, this servant goes and finds a guy who owes him pocket change. And the guy says, please forgive me. Just give me more time. I can make this happen. I'll I'll do my best. And he says, no. And he punishes the guy. What's the point of that story? It's really taking what Jesus says in Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer and and expounding it for us. It helps us understand that if we are a forgiven people, we will be a forgiving people. Let me say that again. If we are truly, by God's grace, through the work of God's Spirit, looking to the finished work of Jesus Christ, if we are a forgiven people, we will be a forgiving people. Let me get really, really, really down to brass tacks, though, as we talk about kind of the the process of working out biblical forgiveness, as we think about our attitudes and our actions of this letting go and the consequences. And I want to give you kind of three words to hold on to as we seek, by God's grace, to be a forgiving people in our relationships. Here you go. First P, prepare. As you think about a broken relationship in your life, and I would argue that most of us, really none of us, probably have to think very hard. As you think about something that stands between you and another person, and that may be something very real this morning, first prepare. Prepare what? Well, prepare your heart and your mind. Consider your own sin. Consider your perspective on the situation. Consider the wonder of salvation and what Jesus has actually done for you. Pray that God would humble you. Pray that God would fill you with gentleness, even in the midst of what may be a very real confrontation. Consider yourself. Prepare as you think about moving toward forgiveness. Second, pursue pursue. 
As we look to practice forgiveness, we need to patiently pursue the offender. Walk into the difficult situation. This is really what's commanded of us in Matthew 18. We don't have time to to fully articulate that. But pursue the offender. Lovingly confront the sin. And then extend the offer of forgiveness and reconciliation as far as it is legitimately possible in this life. Now, we have to remember in that pursuit, anger, (laughs) bitterness, avoidance, pretending nothing's wrong, these are not legitimate biblical categories for us as God's people. So as we pursue, this is a dependent effort, again, praying that God would work in us by His Spirit, love, joy, peace, courage. So we prepare By God's grace, our minds and hearts. We pursue the other person and extend the offer of forgiveness and reconciliation. We encourage their confession and their repentance. And thirdly, we we pardon that person. If they confess and repent, then we let go of the offense. Leaning upon the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, and being willing to model his love that he has shown us toward others, we let go. Ken Sandy, in his work, The Peacemaker, it's another resource I'd recommend to you. He says that the four promises of forgiveness say this. One, I will not dwell on the incident. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. So we prepare, we pursue, and we pardon. Before I bring things to a close, there are a couple of other questions I think it's important for us to look at. One, do we have to confront every single sin? I mean, does this mean, right, if your roommate, like, left their dirty socks on the couch, I'd be able to go, okay, I got to prepare, preparing my heart and mind. I have to pursue this person, I know she's asleep, but I'm going to go in there and I'm going to wake her up. And uh, I'll bring a cup of coffee with me. It's going to be fine. And then I will say, okay, listen. (laughs) You left not one, but two dirty socks (laughs) on the couch last night. And I'm willing to forgive you, but I'm going to need you to confess that sin before me. Actually, let's bring our other roommate in here so she can hear it too. the, The answer is no. We, we don't have to, to move into this process for every single thing. We have to exercise real biblical wisdom. Proverbs does tell us that it can actually be a grace to overlook certain sins. There are times where we, yes, through the counsel of others and a careful consideration of the situation, we can choose to exercise a kind of grace that lets go. But in the midst of real circumstances, real sin, continued sin serious sin, this work of forgiveness really needs to be a primary descriptor of us as God's people. So do we have to confront every sin this way? No. And then another question that I think comes as we really consider the practice of forgiveness in our relationships. What do we do if someone will not repent? 
What do we do if someone will not confess their sin? What do we do if someone just keeps avoiding us, won't own up? What, what do we do? Well, remember, biblically, we are not allowed to take the matter into our own hands. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We can't take an eye-for-an-eye approach. But we also can't become bitter, right? This is, this is my sin of choice when I'm wronged and people don't want to own up. Okay, fine. I'll just grow bitter internally. You know, I'll slip something in in a prayer request. <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. I'll maybe gossip a little bit, slander where I need to. Mm-mm. We literally cannot do that. But I've been wronged. Yes, you have. So what do you do? Biblically, we entrust ourselves and the other person and the situation over to the mercy of God, the justice of God, and the authorities that God has put in place. Let me just quickly kind of explain what I mean there. In that situation where someone has legitimately wronged you, they will not repent, they will not confess, they are not interested in reconciliation, they don't care what you have to say about forgiveness. If we entrust that person over to the mercy of God, we are saying, Father, work in their heart by the Spirit the gift of repentance. I can't see it, I can't bring it about, but you can do that work. We also entrust this person over to the justice of God. We don't do that lightly. Because what we're in essence saying is, Lord, if this person will not repent, if they will not confess, then I entrust them into your eternal hands. Do not ever think that you are more well-equipped to meter out justice than God is. And don't ever think lightly when we are basically praying that God would seek to deal with sin in a way that brings him glory. Finally, we entrust that person over to the authorities established by God for their good. Matthew 18 clearly says that if they won't listen to you, if they won't listen to you and someone else, then you bring them before the church. That means that you are saying in that situation, I can do no more, I entrust the authorities of the church to deal with you accordingly. And we would say the same in the authority of the state. That there can be no reconciliation here, therefore I bring the case before the state. So what's the application of all this? We pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We prepare our hearts and minds. We pursue those that we have sinned against, and those that have sinned against us. We seek, by God's grace, the better way of forgiveness. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, again, we have opened the door to a lot of things this morning. If we're being honest, we've opened the door to a lot of difficult things this morning. Many of our hearts and minds are filled with Difficult relationships, difficult conversations, things that have gone wrong, things that have been wrong, ways that we've been sinned against, ways that we've been hurt, ways that we have festered and fostered bitterness and gossip and slander. And God, thank you that you forgive us in Jesus Christ. 
Thank you that you encourage us as our Heavenly Father to come before you time and time and time again. And thank you, God, that you lead us, that you give us the opportunity and place upon us in Jesus Christ the obligation to extend forgiveness toward others. May we be that people even today, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to what we've just heard, let's stand together and sing our hymn of response, Come Ye Sinners. <laughs>